0: I'm Melinda Hemelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Brenda Davey. She is a fellow registered dietitian and nutrition professor and researcher at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. I had the pleasure of hearing Dr. Davey speak at the 2016 Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Annual Food Nutrition Conference and Expo in Boston. She gave a terrific presentation about the complex societal issues related to water shortages, purity, and quality, which influence water consumption and its critical role in human health. Welcome, Dr. Davey.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I don't really know where to start because your talk was so terrific, but I I guess I want to know first what it was about water that intrigued you to do the research that you did on it. We certainly have a whole gamut of subjects to study in food nutrition. Why did you focus on water?
1: Well, it was sort of an accidental pathway for me in research. I began my career very interested in studying weight gain with advancing age. Why is it that we typically gain weight as we get older? And so I was doing some laboratory-based studies that involved bringing people into the laboratory and giving them a test meal and studying how much they would eat under different conditions. And I was studying younger people and older people and comparing them. And in one of our studies, we compared Individuals given a 500 calorie yogurt preload, like an appetizer, before they were given a test meal. And we also compared that to a condition where they did not have the yogurt calorie preload before the test meal. And then also a water condition where we gave them two cups of water to drink before the test meal. And so I was really interested in this 500-calorie yogurt preload and how that would impact what they ate at a meal. The idea was would the older people eat more calories in response to that yogurt preload than the younger people would. The younger people tend to compensate for the Mm. calories that they had just eaten. And we did find that, that in individuals as they age are more susceptible to overeating. But what was really interesting is that in this sort of control condition where we gave them the two cups of water, we found that they actually ate less than in the condition where they did not have The water. And so that gave us this idea of maybe pre meal water could be a strategy used by older adults to help reduce their hunger and to help reduce how much they're eating if they need to lose
0: weight. That's so interesting because I've often told people who are trying to lose weight that we may reach for food when really we're thirsty. And I wonder if that isn't part of what we're seeing here is that perhaps these individuals came to the table partially dehydrated, so the water satisfied their need for hydration and that impacted them how much they would eat. How did you explain what you found?
1: Well, what we think is happening is that when the older folks drank that water preload, it remained in their stomach for a while so that when they were presented with that test meal, they were still pretty full and they were less hungry than in the condition where they did not have the water preload. And so they, without realizing it, ate fewer calories. So we did measure their appetite sensations for about a two- to three-hour period, and we did link less hunger and more feeling of fullness to the lower calorie intake at the meal. So we think that's the mechanism that's involved here.
0: Hmm. Okay, now when you say older people, tell me the ages of the individuals you looked at, and do you think that you would have something different if you did it with a younger population?
1: That's a really good question. And so in our original studies, we did compare younger people and older people. And our younger people were aged 18 to 35, and our older groups were 50 to 75. And so those are the age groups that we're referring to when we say the younger and older individuals. What happens as we age is there's a delay in gastric emptying time. And so this is why we think we saw that effect of the pre water in the older study participants and not in the younger study participants.
0: Very interesting. Well, this is a great take-home message, especially this time of year when people are looking at the big first-of-the-year weight loss mission. And this is just a nice little trick we can play with ourselves to eat less.
1: Right. I think it is a great reminder that it is important for us to drink adequate amounts of fluid. And particularly if you're concerned about your weight and your calorie intake, water should be the main fluid of choice.
0: I wanted to ask you about that because a lot of people don't like the taste of water. I guess I'm really speaking for myself. You know, we turn on the tap and the water's been treated. It has maybe a funny taste for some folks. So would it be okay if I took that water, heated it up, and maybe made a cup of herb tea? Would that count the same?
1: It still counts in terms of meeting your fluid needs. In our studies, we just used drinking water that was room temperature or chilled. And so, you know, as a scientist, we're reluctant to make conclusions beyond exactly what we studied. Right. So I would say in terms of whether or not that would reduce calories at the meal, that wasn't exactly what we were investigating, hot liquids versus cold liquids, But in terms of meeting your daily fluid requirements, certainly other fluids, including hot tea, would count.
0: Mm -hmm. And if indeed the mechanism is the delay in gastric emptying, my hypothesis would be that it would work, but more studies need to be done, right? So that we were exact in our recommendations.
1: Right. And we did do those studies after these laboratory meal studies, we conducted a 12-week randomized control trial, and we randomly assigned middle-aged and older adults to either consume pre-meal water three times a day, along with a low-calorie diet, or just consume a low-calorie diet without any instructions related to water intake. And we found after 12 weeks that our water group had lost an average of about five more pounds than the group who was not consuming water before each meal.
0: Wow. Yeah, I think you called this an aqua appetizer.
1: Right, that's how we talk about it as a preload in the scientific world, but really that's what it is. It's like an appetizer. Well, it has
0: a nice ring to it. Yeah. All right, I wanna go back, before we got into the studies, what you presented was this great slide that showed water and health, why is this important? And I wonder if you could just remind our listeners of all the benefits that water has for us. And we should probably also fraction out water coming from both liquids and water in foods.
1: Right. Okay. So the first point then that I'll make related to that is that we can meet our daily fluid needs through both food and liquids. But... Liquids or beverages represent about 80% of our total fluid intake. So most of our liquid does come from beverages that we consume. As far as health benefits go, what we know is that there is a connection between being adequately hydrated and optimal cognitive or brain function. Mm -hmm. So if you're not well hydrated, you may feel less energetic, you may have headaches, you may have mood problems, you may have crankiness or feelings of fatigue, so there are cognitive effects if you're not well hydrated. There's also some evidence suggesting that it might reduce individuals' risk of obesity and diabetes by being better hydrated.
0: Yeah, can you explain the mechanism on the glucose tolerance and diabetes risk from being dehydrated?
1: It's a very interesting connection. That has been shown in several studies, but the mechanism is not well understood.
0: Well, that's fascinating in terms of how do we prevent disease. How many people think that, wow, maybe I should be drinking more water to prevent diabetes?
1: Right. I think water is really an underappreciated nutrient. Yeah. That there are lots of these beneficial effects of promoting water intake, but we really don't talk about them.
0: Yeah, I agree. And the issue with cognition, wow. I mean, how many times have we thought, well, I could be thinking better. I could be doing better on an exam If I'm better hydrated, I wish I would have reminded my kids before they went to take a test at school to, you know, have an extra drink of water, you'll do better.
1: Right. And there have been studies that have examined that very issue in school children and have shown that better hydrated children perform better in school and on tests.
0: Yeah. And this idea, too, of crankiness, we think about anger, we use that word hangry when we feel agitated, when really we're hungry. Mm -hmm. And yet you report that the same thing happens when we're thirsty.
1: Right. And think about what might happen if I'm not well hydrated and I'm having mood disturbances and I can't concentrate and I have a headache and I'm feeling fatigued. How likely am I to adhere to my exercise program?
0: Right. I remember when I was doing some work in sports nutrition, learning that even very mild dehydration, you know, 1% to 2%, would result in poorer sports performance than if I was well hydrated. And I thought to myself, how many kids are in sports in school, they're dehydrated and likely tired too, so you've got this compounding of problems that would impact their sports performance and how much better they could do with two simple free things, getting more sleep and drinking more.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, I want to talk about how much water is adequate because, gosh, it's so hard to know. Haven't we heard all different kinds of recommendations through the years? Do we need six cups of water a day? Do we need eight cups of water? How do we know when we're well hydrated?
1: It is complicated. We do have some very general recommendations that we can follow. And the Institute of Medicine has suggested that, women and men need 9 to 13 cups per day of water. That's a general recommendation. The other general rule of thumb that folks can use to figure out whether or not their water intake is adequate is for every calorie that we consume, we need about a milliliter of water. And so if someone is consuming about 2,000 calories a day, they probably need about 2,000 milliliters of water per day.
0: Can you translate that into cups?
1: Sure. And so 1,000 milliliters would be about four cups. Okay. So 250 milliliters would be approximately one cup.
0: All right. Well, this is good to know. Now, when we're talking about these 9 to 13 cups per day, can I include my coffee and other liquids? Does it have to be water? all liquids
1: count. The issue of of caffeine-containing beverages has been studied to sort out what effect that might have on fluid losses. And it looks like fluid losses are pretty short-term when you ingest those caffeine-containing beverages. So that over the course of a day, it doesn't really appear to be very dehydrating if folks are drinking a fair amount of caffeinated beverages. So those do count toward our total fluid needs.
0: I'm really glad you brought that up because that is something that is debated frequently. And I remember, and I'm sure you do too, doing clinical work when we had to keep track of patients' intakes and outputs. And we never subtracted for Coffee intake or, or a beverage that contained caffeine, it was eight ounces. That we didn't take away for if that patient might be having an increased output. Right. Okay, now we are midway, so let me just remind everyone, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Dr. Brenda Davey. She is a fellow registered dietitian and nutrition professor and researcher at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. I heard her speak at the annual conference of dietitians in Boston in 2016, and she gave a terrific presentation on water. So that's what we're discussing now. All right. Let me go back to another point that you made during the presentation in Boston that I I was flabbergasted. Beverages represent a major source of calories, and you had an approximate 450 calories per day?
1: Right. In the U.S., we drink a lot of our calories. And so thinking about strategies to help us better manage our weight, and maybe reduce our calorie intake each day, something simple like just replacing a soft drink with water would be potentially a really effective way to cut back on our calorie intake.
0: Yeah, and it seems like you'd have a double benefit of getting the water by any number of mechanisms, preventing weight gain that way, but also then displacing the calories from the sweeteners. Exactly. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about artificially sweetened beverages? We can do that. That is a
1: very controversial area. (laughs) I will tell you, there's evidence suggesting that using artificially sweetened beverages could be an effective way to reduce calorie intake. And there are a lot of folks in the nutrition world who really want to discourage use of artificially sweetened beverages. So the literature is really mixed on that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just spoke to a researcher at Purdue who was talking about how maybe the gut microbes might be involved in how we respond to artificial sweeteners. I think we need a lot more research on that.
1: I agree, and it's nice to come back to the recommendation of if you have concerns, water is a great choice.
0: Exactly. And then there's the issue of tap water versus bottles of water that we perhaps carry with us and refill at a tap or the bottled water that we buy in plastic. So there are a lot of environmental issues there from the plastic bottle perspective as well as toxins in our tap water. And I know that the session where you spoke, one of the focuses, in addition to you talking about water and health, was the fact that here we have a community in Flint, Michigan, where the water became toxic because of lead. And from what I understand, Flint is just one of many communities in the United States with failing infrastructure, water that isn't properly managed or monitored, and we've probably got a few more toxins in there than we'd like to think.
1: Unfortunately, that is probably true. A lot of the civil engineers that I work with here say that this really could be the tip of the iceberg. It's kind of scary. With our aging water infrastructure, there may be more stories like Flint, Michigan out there.
0: Yeah. What contaminants are you most concerned with?
1: Well, I guess I see two sides of this issue. Most of us live in communities where we do have access to very good quality tap water. If you have concerns about that, the local public water utilities are required by the EPA to mail out consumer confidence reports that detail the water quality testing results in the communities that people live in. And so I would say I'm not an expert in levels of contaminants that would be alarming that we might see in other public water systems. So I would just say that if individuals are concerned about it, they can bring those concerns to their local public water utilities.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that there may be toxins that are not tested. Maybe the municipality doesn't have the resources to test for those toxins. Maybe even if they found those toxins, they would feel responsible then in cleaning them up. We've seen in the Midwest, for example, where communities have, found agricultural contaminants from pesticide or herbicide use. There's really not very much monitoring of that going on and any kind of interventions to clean that up.
1: There is a lot of concern related to that, and there's also concerns now related to the presence of pharmaceuticals in our water. Right. And, again, I'm not an expert in that, and so I would just say speak with your local water utilities if you have specific concerns like that to find out what's in your tap water.
0: Right. Do you recommend that people filter their tap water?
1: There can be some benefits to that. Using something like a simple Brita filter pitcher, If you are someone who is sensitive to the taste of chlorine, and some folks are, they do not like the way chlorinated water tastes, you can use those water filters to take out some of the particles that might be in the water that give it a taste that might be unpleasant to you. And so I would say that's an individual preference issue. One of the concerns is it might also be trapping things in the water that might be there for a reason, like fluoride and so that's just a personal preference issue to to think through for consumers.
0: Yeah, and you know, back in 2010 there was a report, the President's Cancer Panel report, and I remember it was quite startling because there was a recommendation for Americans to filter all of their tap water. And it had to do with contaminants in surface and groundwater that could get into their taps. So We are facing a real conundrum in water quality, and I don't know what the policy answers are in terms of increasing testing, increasing monitoring, and figuring out how indeed we're going to pay for these improvements in our water infrastructure.
1: It's true, and a lot of folks also don't realize that bottled water is actually less regulated than our tap water. And so many folks will turn to bottled water as a safer alternative, thinking that they're assured higher quality, it's, it's more likely to be tested, and that may not necessarily be the case.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other pieces of information that you brought up in your presentation was you identified populations where suboptimal water intake could exist. So in other words, who is at increased risk? And I wonder if we could go over who might want to be paying particular attention to this message and what they can do. So older adults, over 60 years old, suboptimal water intake. Why and what can they do?
1: Well, that may in part be due to just declines in our sensations of thirst as we age, mm-hmm. that's been pretty widely accepted that as we age, our sensitivity to detect thirst declines, and that makes older folks less susceptible to drink enough water. So, yes, individuals over age 60 are one population segment that may need to be reminded to consume enough water.
0: And do you know what the mechanism is for that decreased thirst sensation? I don't. Well, it's interesting. I also think that as we get older, of course, I've often heard women say, I just have to get up and go to the bathroom more often, and I don't want to drink so much.
1: Well, that is true, too. That can be a problem with older folks, with folks who are taking diuretics, who feel like they already have to go to the restroom more frequently, I know that that is an issue.
0: Right. Okay, another group of individuals on your who's at risk for suboptimal intake, low education level. Why is that?
1: I think it may just be a lack of awareness of the importance of consuming adequate water. It might also be that individuals who have lower socioeconomic status might be living in communities where there are greater concerns about tap water quality. And if they are in a community like that, they may feel like it's safer to consume other types of beverages and maybe to avoid their tap water.
0: Right. We're going to get away from the topic that I brought up, but I just have to interject there, where we learned that populations in Flint, Michigan, had switched from drinking tap water to drinking soda or other sweetened beverages because they were perceived to be safer. So to your point.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I can't remember who the presenter was that said they were going to be monitoring for increases in diabetes, obesity, and tooth decay as a result.
1: Yep, unfortunately they may be turning to sugary beverages as what they view to be as a safer alternative than drinking water.
0: Right. Another group at risk, lower leisure time physical activity. I would have thought that if a person was more physically active, they might not be able to keep up with their water needs. But what you're saying is that actually less leisure time activity is more likely to put us at risk. Why is that?
1: My suspicion there, I don't know exactly what the connection would be, but my suspicion is that it relates to those of us who are physically active being aware that we need to drink more water, that we're sweating, we're losing water, and that knowledge may prompt us to grab a water bottle.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think especially when the climate changes. So we've got in the summer I think we're pretty much aware we're sweating, we're hot, we're thirsty, we need to drink. There's a lot of public messaging, public outreach about the importance of drinking so that we don't get dehydrated or we don't suffer from heat stroke. But in the winter time, we're not as likely I don't think to think about grabbing a glass of cool water from the tap. Right. You also have a category here that I thought was curious. Smokers are more likely to have suboptimal water intake.
1: Again, I do not know what the connection is there, but there does seem to be some connection with smoking status and inadequate water intake.
0: Very interesting. We just have a few minutes left, so I want to give you a chance to bring forth any information from your research and your experience that you want our listeners to know about hydration, water, and health?
1: I think, as I said earlier, and I think you mentioned this as well, that water is really an underappreciated nutrient. And I think it's also an underappreciated resource that we have. And unfortunately, it takes events like what's happened in Flint, Michigan, for us to appreciate that many of us do live in communities where we do have access to safe, good quality tap water. I would emphasize that water is the ideal beverage of choice, particularly if you're concerned about weight control and that staying hydrated has lots of beneficial health associations. I mentioned reduced risk of diabetes, reduced risk of obesity, but there's also reduced risk of kidney stones and urinary tract infections. So there are many benefits to really focusing on getting enough water each day.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you have any tips for people to help us drink enough?
1: I think water bottles that are portable are very popular, and I think that's a great thing. A lot of us will carry water bottles around with us as we go throughout the day so that when we get thirsty, we have something right there and accessible. We don't need to go to the soda machine to get something to drink when we're thirsty. So I think that's one strategy. I think if folks don't like the way their water tastes, There are some strategies like adding lemon slices or cucumber slices that work for some people. So I would say try out some new strategies for making drinking water something that's tasty. I guess those are the two things that I would like to emphasize.
0: Those are great tips to start the new year off with, so I want to thank you so much. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Brenda Davy, fellow registered dietitian and nutrition professor at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. And I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you so much for being my guest.
1: Sure thing.